Lord, uh, we just thank you for your word and how practical it is. It meets us right where we are. There are just so many things in your word that uh, pierce our soul or brick our mind. But Lord, uh, your word uh, meets us where we are. Regardless of what we brought in this morning with us. And you're sovereign, Lord. You know our hearts. You know what we need to leave at the cross this morning. You know what we need to bring to you, whether it's a broken relationship, a burden that we've been carrying, some sin that we've needed to confess. Or maybe it's just coming back to you, just rededicating. Sometimes we just need to do that in our lives. We just need to to get right with you, to to re-surrender, to submit again. And so, Lord, whatever it is today, we just ask that you'll be working in our hearts and our lives as we listen to this passage of Scripture, which Derek read for us. It's your word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So we ask that you do your work in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm reminded of a a humorous story this morning of a man who is just utterly frustrated with his wife because he couldn't convince her that she was hard of hearing. And so he was visiting with his doctor and he asked for his advice. And he said, well, here's what I would do if I were you. When you get home tonight, put your head through the door and just speak as loudly as you can and and say, honey, what are we having for dinner tonight? And if you don't get a response, then walk into the living room and ask the question again, say, honey, what are we having for dinner? If she still doesn't respond, then go into the kitchen and ask her the question, honey, what are we having for dinner? If you don't get an answer, Go up directly behind her and speak into her ear and say, Honey, what are we having for dinner? He thought that was a great plan. So he went home that night, pulled into the garage, put his head through the door and said, Honey, what are we having for dinner? There was no response. Into the living room. Honey, what are we having for dinner tonight? No response. Into the kitchen. Honey, what are we having for dinner? Still no response. Then he walked up directly behind her spoke into her ear and said, honey, what are we having for dinner? She turned around and said, for the fourth time, I just said we're having spaghetti. (laughs) Now you tell me who has a problem. That's the pot calling the kettle black, right? It's also a problem that the Bible talks a lot about. Having a critical spirit, accusing somebody of something that may not be true, that judgmental attitude. Some people have called it spiritual spec control, complete with beam in your own eye. If you look at the first five verses of this this passage of Scripture, which Derek was reading for us today. Ran across an interesting article several years ago. Another person called it the spiritual ophthalmology issue. And this is what they said. In an attempt to be holy, some seek a degree in spiritual ophthalmology, 
and the tuition is cheapest at the Splinter Picker College. Graduates of this college feel they're righteous as long as they can help humanity by picking splinters out of other people's eyes. The fact is they should have attended Big Beam School of Learning or Logging, where they would have learned their own need for spiritual ophthalmology. And we've all fallen into this trap, haven't we, of slipping into a critical spirit or judging someone wrongly, making assumptions, jumping to conclusions. Yeah, they can't hear. And we're really the one with the problem all along. Now, notice how Jesus describes this issue in verses 1 through 5 of this chapter. Going up just a few verses earlier than what Derek read for us, he says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me get the speck out of your eye. When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly the speck out of your brother's eye. So says our Lord Jesus Christ as he puts his finger on this issue or the problem that we're talking about this morning. Now, there are three guiding principles that the Lord gives us in these 12 verses to help us in our personal relationships. Notice verses 1 through 5, which I just read for you. In those verses, the first guiding principle that the Lord gives us is a principle which helps us in our relationship with our brother or our sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, fellow Christians. And the principle is very simply simple. Do not judge self-righteously. And then when we look at verses 7 through 11, which Derek read for us, he gives us a guiding principle in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The first principle has to do with our horizontal relationships. The second principle has to do with our vertical relationship with God. And then the third and final guiding principle that he gives us in these 12 verses today has to do with the way that we treat others. That second principle is a principle of praying persistently. And then this last guiding rule that he gives us this morning in this passage is treat others respectfully the way you would like to be treated. The golden rule. We all know it. So let's look at these verses very briefly. Notice verse 1 again. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, this is a word which is used 114 times in the New Testament. And it's the word from which, or from, from which we get our English word for critic. This Greek word literally means to become or to be a critic. And it's the Greek word from which we developed our English word. And so Jesus is warning, against, warning us against this, this favorite pastime which believers have practiced for many centuries. And isn't it interesting that we're still practicing it? 
The word literally means to make a decision or to make a determination about another person. Just like this husband in the story which I told you at the beginning made a decision or a determination about his wife. It was, he was convinced that she couldn't hear and he accused her of it. And he was really the one with the problem. That's this word. It means to make a decision or determination, a judgment or a condemnation towards someone. And we've given you a number of verses there that illustrate this. Now, I want to say something at this point. Jesus is not forbidding loving admonition when he gives us this principle here in these five verses. He's not saying that we're never to discern. He's not saying that it isn't appropriate sometimes to judge. In fact, we're called to make judgments. We're called to wisely discern. We're called to lovingly speak the truth to one another. And sometimes people can receive that as criticism. And you may not intend it that way at all. The Bible isn't forbidding that in this passage of Scripture. In fact, if you look at the end of page one, if you got your notes this morning as you were coming in, you can go home today and you can do a lot of Bible study. And you'll see that this word judgment is repeated over and over in the Bible to describe God's fair judgment of us. But it's also used to describe our unfair judgment or our criticism wrongly doing this in some situations. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about appropriate judgment or loving admonition. What he's talking about is self-righteous And we've all gotten there, haven't we? We've all been there and done that. We've all slipped into this where we just feel pretty good about ourselves and we feel like it's our right to say something about this person because we know what they're doing isn't what God wants them to do. And so we slip into this this pastime of self-righteous condemnation, which is motivated by the fact that we think we know more And we've grown more than the person that we're critiquing. That's the activity that Jesus is describing here. And notice that this this word is preceded by a negative. He says in the Greek text, the negative is actually before the command. Here in the English, it says, judge not. But in the Greek, that little prefix is before the, the, the command. And that tells us something. That tells us that what Jesus is forbidding here was an ongoing activity which was taking place. It was one of the favorite pastimes of the Pharisees. And evidently, some of the people Jesus was talking to were falling into this. And so what he's really saying here is, stop it. Stop what you're doing. It isn't right as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not to be doing this, is what he's saying in these verses. Ran across another interesting story many, many years ago of a lady who is showing a church friend her neighbor's wash through her back window. Back in the days when people were still hanging stuff on clotheslines, and some people still do that, 
Uh, but we've got washers and dryers now today, and so we don't do as much of it. And so there she is standing at the back window showing her, her, her friend, her neighbor's laundry, hanging from this clothesline, and this is what she says. You know, our neighbor isn't very clean. Look at all those streaks in her laundry. To which her friend said to her, those streaks aren't on your neighbor's wash, they're on your window. (laughs) Have you ever heard of Lowell's syndrome? Anybody in here ever heard of Lowell's syndrome? It's actually a rare eye disease. And it's labeled Lowell's syndrome because Sir Percival Lowell was a very well-known astronomer. And he had a particular interest in the planet Mars. And he'd read some literature from a French fellow astronomer, pardon me, an Italian astronomer, who believed that there were literally canals on the planet Mars. And so he started to study it. And he spent the rest of his life looking through an eyepiece into a telescope from his home in Arizona at the planet Mars, and he would diagram and he traced all of the canals and riverbeds that he saw on that planet. And people were convinced that the planet Mars was probably inhabited because of all these canals. And that became very well known in the, the literature of astronomy. But now we know with all the space probes and all of the stuff that circled Mars, that there's no such thing on the planet. So how did this very renowned astronomer come to that conclusion about the planet Mars? Well, here's the story. There were only two ways that he could have arrived at that, and one of them was because he had a rare eye disease which caused him to actually see the blood vessels in his eye as he was looking into that eyepiece. And so what he was really seeing that he thought were canals were really the very blood vessels in his own eye. Lowell's syndrome from Percival Lowell, this well-known astronomer. Well, in the body of Christ, many times we fall into what I would call Lowell's syndrome. And Jesus says, don't do it. Don't try to pull out specks when you've got a redwood or an evergreen growing from your own eye. Don't do it. It's easy to fall into, but that's not what we're called to as brothers and sisters in Christ. So let me leave you with a personal challenge before we look at the second guiding principle this morning. Whenever you find yourself on the edge of wanting to criticize, and many times this can express itself in the form of slander or backbiting or just wanting to talk about your neighbor's laundry, take a look at yourself and make sure it isn't your own blood vessels that you're looking through. Take a look at the beam in your own eye before you pull out the speck in somebody else's. I've had to do that a lot of times in my life, probably as recently as yesterday, if I'm honest with you, 
because it's a temptation that we're, we, we so easily slip into. And whenever I, I start to look at my own stuff, then I'm reminded that, you know what? I've really got as much stuff on my side of the fence as this person that I, I'd like to clean it all up for them as they've got on their side of the fence. And then that makes me look at the cross. And you know, when I look at the cross and when I think of Jesus and what Jesus did for me, all of my stuff, all of my garbage, all of my sin, all of my wrong attitudes, that brings me back to that place of what? The cross, mercy, grace. You know, it's such an absurd pastime that we're talking about here because what we really all need is grace, right? Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. We need mercy and grace to save us. And I need mercy and grace to just take the next breath that I'm going to breathe this morning and the next step and the next word that I'm going to speak. We need mercy and grace. We need the cross in our lives. And so Jesus gives us this very important reminder here in these, these verses of Scripture. You remember the poem, I Dreamed of Heaven? You'll remember it as I say it. I dreamed death came the other night, and heaven's gate swung wide. With kindly grace, an angel ushered me inside. And there, to my astonishment, stood folks I'd known on earth, Some I judged and labeled, unfit or of little worth. Indignant words rose to my lips, but were never set free. For every face showed stunned surprised. No one expected me. One other observation before we move on. This is easier to preach than it is to practice. You know, this is so hard to live out when you've been hurt. If somebody else has hurt you or if somebody has let you down, if you've been disappointed by somebody, it's hard not to go there and do this, isn't it? So many times I find myself lashing out. And the times that I lash out and I'm most critical are usually because I've been hurt by somebody. Or they've let me down and I'm just frustrated. I'm just so frustrated. I could just strangle them. Or I'm just so disappointed. They've let me down. This is difficult to do when you've been hurt, when you feel like somebody's let you down. You've been frustrated. And yet this is what Jesus calls us to practice as his people. Now I've got a handout out on the table in the narthex and it differentiates between critical condemnation and loving admonition. And if you still got some questions about the difference in, in this activity that we're talking about now and what is righteous judgment and appropriate loving admonition, because we're, we're called to that. And verse 6 tells us that. If you look at it, don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't give it to dogs. You know, we're called to judge sometimes. Feel free to step out and pick up that little sheet of paper. It's a great little tool for for more Bible study. Now, let's talk about this second guiding principle for a minute. This principle which is to guide our relationship with the Heavenly Father. 
Here Jesus teaches us to pray persistently or perseveringly. Now, can I be honest for just a moment? And I hope you'll be honest with me in your heart. I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand this morning. But I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself. Has there ever been a time where you've been disappointed with God? Has there ever been a time in your own life where you've been frustrated with God? Why doesn't he answer? I've been praying and praying and praying and praying and I've been on my knees and I've been crying and can't God see? Doesn't God understand? Has there ever been a time where you've been hurt by God? Just just hurt. Lord, I laid it all out there. I prayed and I asked you for this and, and you didn't answer. I think if we're honest with ourselves, yes, there have been times we've been disappointed, we've been hurt, we've been frustrated with God. In the first section of this passage of Scripture, we're talking about situations where we've been hurt, we've been disappointed, we've been frustrated with people, and we lash out at them. But now in this middle section, he's talking about our vertical relationship with our our loving Heavenly Father. And if you've ever been frustrated or disappointed with God, well, then what do you do? Well, it's easy to just give up, isn't it? It's easy just to kind of cash it in and walk away and give up and stop praying. And so what Jesus is saying here in this middle section of the passage is, don't do it. Don't do it. In the first section, he's saying, stop it. And now he's saying, don't do it. If you've ever been tempted to give up on me, don't do it. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Why, Lord? I know you're not supposed to ask it, right? But, but I've asked it. Why, Lord? Why this? Why this now? Why have you allowed this to come into my life? Why me, Lord? Why not them? I mean, we've all been tempted to ask those questions. When we plead with God and we don't get an answer because life is tough and life is difficult. And there are those times where we just don't understand. And it's going to be that way, this side of heaven. And so Jesus says here in beginning in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And the more accurate translation of these verbs is the Amplified Version has it right. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. These these. Commands are in the present tense here in the Greek text. And the present tense was the tense of continuous action. It's the tense of keep on keeping on. It's it's the tense of don't give up. And that's what Jesus is really saying here. Keep seeking me. Keep asking me. Keep pounding heaven with your request. Because God is a good God. 
We used to have a song leader back in Nebraska. He's since moved on from Hastings to, to Omaha, so I guess I can use his name now. Now His name was Cecil Wissing. And Cecil led music in our church for a while, and one of his favorite songs was God is Good. And he'd always sing, after we sang that song, he'd always say, God is good. And then he'd say, God is good all the time. And then he'd, he'd ask us to respond back. So I'm going to do it now. God is good, and God is good what? All of the time. Now look at verses 8 through 11. That's what Jesus is telling us. You know, there's a lot of times it just doesn't feel like it. There's a lot of times it just doesn't seem like God is good. I mean, if God is good, if God really cares, then why isn't he answered? I've been asking and asking and asking and seeking and seeking and seeking, and there's no answer yet. Is God really good? Yes, God is really good. Look at what Jesus says here. And he says that we can, we can trust him and we can continue to persevere in prayer because of God's promises. And notice what Jesus promises here. Ask and he doesn't say, well, maybe you'll receive. He says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open to you. That is a promise from God. Numbers 23, 19 says, God isn't a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not said, and shall he not do it? Hath he not spoken, and shall he not make it good? God is faithful to his word, his promises, and you can trust him. You can trust his character. Notice the word good is repeated twice here in these, these last three verses. Good things. He'll give you a fish if you ask him for a fish. He won't give you a stone. He wants to give you good things, the good that you ask him for. Somebody from the church here, I can't remember who, sent me a little email, I believe. Shortly after I came here, it was after I'd preached on prayer. You'll remember the, this illustration. When everything seems to go wrong, just push, P period, U period, S period, H period, just push. When everything seems to go wrong, when the job gets you down, is there anybody in here this morning whose job has gotten them down? It happens sometimes, doesn't it? Just push. When people don't react the way you think they should, just push. When money looks gone and the bills are due, just push. When people don't understand you, you push, push, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. That's perseverance in prayer, and that's what Jesus is describing here this morning. It's another story told of a man who was stranded on an island and he'd been praying and praying for God's deliverance. Nothing happened. And then one day he turned and he saw that his hut was on fire. 
and everything that he'd stored on this island from this shipwreck in that hut burned up. He lost everything, and he shook his fist at God. He wondered why that had happened. And now he felt like God had truly abandoned him. And then the next day, a ship rescued him. And he said, how did you find me? And he said, they said, well, we saw your smoke signal. Yes, God is good. But God's timing isn't always my time. And notice God says he'll give us a fish. But you know what? Sometimes I think I need a trout or a Uh, or a bass, but God knows that I need tuna. He doesn't say what kind of fish. He says he'll give us a fish, but God will give us what we need because God is all-knowing. God is sovereign. He sees the beginning from the end. So he will give us exactly what we need at exactly the time we need it, not when we want it or when we think we need it. I love the little story of Dwight L. Moody. He stood up to preach on one occasion, and there were some critics in the audience, be like Russ Hilton down here on the second row, and they actually come to make fun of D.L. Moody. And so D.L. Moody is getting ready to preach, and they're sitting there on the second row, and they're going to throw some tomatoes at him, and they're going to criticize him. And so D.L. Moody gets up And he looks at these young men, and he butchers the king's English. If you remember D.L. Moody, he wasn't real good at the English language, and he looked at these young men on the front row, and he says, young men, he said, don't ever think that God don't love you because he do. And it so stunned them that they stopped their criticism, and they listened to what he had to say, and they eventually gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you this morning, don't ever think that God don't love you. Don't ever think that God isn't good and that God doesn't have your best interest at heart because God does love you. God is good and he's good all the time. So persevere. Don't give up in whatever it is that you're laying before him this morning. Whatever that burden may be or whatever it is you're carrying, And then the last thought this morning has to do with relationships with others. Look at verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, you didn't have to walk into church today for me to tell you that this is the golden rule. You memorized it in Sunday school. But you know what? It's easier to memorize it And it's easier to stand up here and preach it than it is to practice it. When we get hurt, when we get disappointed, and guess what? People will disappoint you, even fellow Christians. It's just life because we're broken. We're we're sinful. We let each other down. When we get hurt, when we get disappointed, when we get frustrated... It's easy to stop practicing the golden rule. I mean, who wants to treat somebody when, in the way that we want to be treated when they treated me that way? Well, I'm going to treat them the way they treated me. It's payback time. 
And so we like to look at this as kind of a, instead of the golden rule, we like to look at it as a, well, it's a, a rule of thumb, a general rule of thumb that, yeah, maybe I'll practice it sometimes. It's a rule of thumb. But Jesus gives us this principle. Treat others the way you want them to treat you, no matter what they're doing to you right now. And this is really the summary of all of his teaching on human relationships here in the Sermon on the Mount, here in chapter 7 and the two chapters before. And you know what's interesting? Hillel, the Jewish rabbi, the Jewish teacher, and many other world religions actually have the golden rule, but it's stated in negative form. And so the Jewish golden rule read like this. Whatever you don't want somebody to do to you, don't do that to them. But Jesus takes it and he puts it in the positive. So that it becomes all-inclusive. We become proactive and we actually begin to treat people the way they want to treat us. And that's love, loving our neighbor as ourself. Remember the words that I found in Chuck Swindoll's a newsletter many, many years ago, if I can find them. I'd like to close with this this morning because I think this is what Jesus calls us to in a, in a, as a lifestyle as Christians. And if I can't find it, I won't read it. It's got to be up here someplace. Pardon me, I'm going to have to dump all of this paper out. Well, I brought it up here. I thought I had it. Well, I'm going to do what I just told you not to do. I'm going to give up. (laughs) Here it is. It's in the back of my Bible. Okay. This is called Anyway. I love this. People are unreasonable illogical and self-centered, love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish and ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you're successful, you'll win. False friends and enemies succeed anyway. The good you do will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness may make you vulnerable Be honest and frank anyway. And what you spend years building may be destroyed overnight, but build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you you try to help them. Help them anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. And you know what I'm talking about because it's happened to you too. Give the world the best you've got anyway. That's the golden rule. Treat them as you want to be treated. All right. I want to just give you a minute to look at that, leave it at the cross sheet again. What is it for you this morning? What is it for you? And as our praise team is coming, 
We've been praying that God would break through in the life of our church. And now this is an opportunity this morning. You know, we had this, this transition team meeting. We've been talking. We've got these focus groups going. But guess what? None of the focus groups and none of the work of the transition team and nothing that we do as a church is going to make any difference unless we have a change of heart. And so I've got four things on my, my sheet of paper this morning. If you've got time, you may want to jot something down and name it, if that's helpful to you. Or you know what it is in your heart. But as our praise team begins to play now this last song, Breakthrough, that's my prayer, is that God is going to break through, that he's going to break through in my life, that he's going to break through in your life. And I've got to leave it at the cross this morning. And as God moves you, we're going to invite you to come and just lay it here at the foot of the cross and leave it with him. And I can tell you, we're going to take all of this paper out. Afterwards, we're going to put it in the trash. We're going to hide it. Nobody's going to know this is between you and God this morning. But what is it for you today that you need to bring to the cross and let God have it? Maybe it's a friendship that's been broken that you need to make right. Maybe it's just a burden, something that you're praying for a loved one that's sick, but it's something that you know that God wants you to leave it with him today. Let's listen to the words, and then David, would you get us to our feet, and we'll join in singing this.